0: It's eternal. It's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It needs to be used by us on a regular basis. We need to be very well acquainted with it so that we can wield it at times of temptation, times of struggle, times of um, joy that we can celebrate, as they did so often in the Psalms. But may you be the focus, and may our lives be wrapped up in you, not in what the world can provide for us or even what our church can provide, but maybe Jesus Christ that we focus on and become more and more like. And regardless of what happens, even if persecution is to come, that we would be singing and praying, as Paul and Silas did, when in jail, in um, chains or some kind of stock, uh, wooden stocks, um, but securely put away from all contacts, we still have you. May we not take you for granted or take prayer for granted, but may this time help us to grow in you as we look at this passage, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We are in Matthew chapter 5, looking at 21 to 26. We have begun uh, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 with the, uh, verses 3 to 12, looking at the Beatitudes. focus was on um, salvation, which required submission, honesty, a broken heart. Um, So a heart change is what would take place. That's what's missing today. Oftentimes when you try to share the gospel, they want to meet God part way. They want to be able to claim something. And Jesus made it very, very clear that that was not to be the case. And then he moved on in verses 13 to 20 with uh, our position, this responsibility to be righteous, to be followers of the law as salt and light, to have our hearts motivated by God's truth, that he has revealed to us. And then we start into this section from 21 through 48, where Jesus now gets serious about their lifestyle, our lifestyle, as we listen to this message. To be a, have a correct understanding of the law, to have our hearts examined, to be correcting what the scribes had taught them. You have heard that it was said. Their religious leaders had been passing on information, but they had kind of narrowed it down to the obvious big sins and they were neglecting the really the purpose and the heart behind uh, what those commandments said. So the first one we're looking at which of the 10 commandments is it? Number number 6. Next week we look at Lord willing we look at what number of the 10 commandments. Number 7. So you realize they were very familiar with what he's bringing up to them. And when he says to them, you have heard, this had been repeated by so many individuals in their lives, in the synagogues, even at the temple. Remember, Jesus taught at the temple. By their parents, they had been, this information had been passed on, as Deuteronomy 6 required, that they teach them, when they rise up, when they lie down, when they're in the way, wherever it may be. So this had been drilled into their heads. But they missed the point. And what they would come up and say is, what we would come up and say is, I've never killed anybody, right? So right up front, just like the Beatitudes, I'm starting to give God excuses and justification of why I don't have to do it his way instead of examining what he's really saying here. So look at verse 21. He says, you have heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. That's pretty straightforward. Who did they hear it from? I mentioned some of those. But their religious teachers, some of the rabbis, the scribes, who were experts in the law, maybe even the Pharisees, different ones, were, were bringing this up to them. They asked Jesus what the greatest commandment was, and he said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbors yourself. That summarizes the Ten Commandments. Love the Lord your God, one to four. Five to ten is to love your neighbor as yourself, starting in, at home to honoring your parents. And so he's simply bringing up obvious information to them. And, and so as they took this in, and it says that the ancients were told. How far back does this go? Who were some of the ancients he's talking about? Who wrote this down in the Ten Commandments? Moses obviously is one of the ancients, but he's, he gives plural. Did you reflect on this? I know you all read this and studied it for hours this week in preparation. Okay, could, if some of them had taught they thou shalt not murder? But it, did David teach that? What is it, was he a teacher? Or as a king? He didn't have as much opportunity. Who were the ancients that they that would have um, been told this? Okay, prophets, go on back. What did, what did Cain know he shouldn't do? He shouldn't murder. He knew it was wrong. He covers it up. He justifies it before God. You ever try to do that? How about Adam and Eve? Did they know it was wrong to murder? And you go on through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. This was clear. It came out in the Ten Commandments where it's finally written down for the nation of Israel to follow, but it had been from the beginning. It was not to happen, and Cain did it anyway. Because his heart was right. And that was the whole problem with this. This is what First John brings up. His heart was evil. He was a murderer. And so as he lays this out in verse 21, he now gives him a contrast. But I say to you, the I is emphatic here. He's trying to put emphasis on this. I'm the one speaking, and I'm going to tell you something that's different. Something that should change each of our lives today. And this is often what we don't do. I take it, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. that You read your Bibles this morning. That You read your Bibles last night. Whenever you have a normal practice, you spend time in the Word, and when you're sitting there reading it, you're taking it in. You aren't just getting some facts. Okay, okay, I got that done. Now checked. Now I get to move on to some fun things. It should be just the other way around. It should be convicting to us regardless of where we open the Word because it is powerful. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit in us. And this is what God's after. We're going through a lot of things in our lives. You you can um, have all kinds of questions about why has God allowed this, why this, why this. What am I struggling with in my life? You're going through all kinds of things. But what never changes is God and his word. I can rest in that. I can come back to that. I can be in prison and yet cry out to God and know that he's in charge. I can rejoice in that situation. Are you excited as you watch our world fall apart? They hate Christians. They're shutting them down every chance they get on the Internet. You're not hearing a lot because the Internet isn't telling you. They're making it quiet. There are people being sued. There are people being jailed. There are people being prosecuted in a variety of ways in America already. So as I look at this, my my thing is I struggle and I go, well, there's going to come a day when I'm going to have to murder some people to keep me out of jail. Is that what God wants me to do? What did you just say to them? You shall not murder unless. Right? I'm looking for the exception clause. No. So as I look at this issue, the idea of murdering is to take the life of another individual. Intentionally, unlawfully, personally, I'm ending the life of another human being. I'm slaying them. I'm putting them to death. This is not talking about capital punishment where governments are given the authority and the responsibility to carry out executions in spite of what our country is trying to do with that. So many of them are putting off executions of people. To what? What's their goal? They're, they think they can re- rehabilitate them, and they're not dealing with the heart, which is deceitful and desperately wicked. They're not changing anybody, and they're starting to let some of those people out, and they're proving that when they get back out, they go and do the same things. Because nothing's changed. No matter how long they sat in jail. Jail is not going to rehabilitate. It may give them time, and the time what they need the most of is time to repent, time to become a believer, time to let God change their hearts, and then to grow from that. But maybe never to get out of jail because of what they've done. And we think, well, that's so cruel. And so... the capital punishment that God has set up for nations to carry out is not murder. It's a necessity because when the sentence against an evil deed is not carried out quickly, the heart is given over to do evil. Where's that found? Ecclesiastes. And so you have to remember that discipline needs to come quickly. It needs to come justly. It needs to be carried out But that's not murder. And so you look at this and say, what about an accidental homicide where I unintentionally kill somebody? Could be in a car wreck. What do we call that? Typically, it's manslaughter. And they have different degrees of what they call different areas. But first-degree murder is what he's saying you shall not do. That is not for you. There may be some other occasions when you fail to maintain your vehicle properly or you weren't paying attention and they'll, they'll have other responsibilities. But the idea here is intentional unlawful murder, not accidental. You can look at this and say, well, what about self-defense? What if I'm fighting off an attacker who's trying to get into my house and hurt my family, or me? What's the law say? Wait till they get inside before you shoot them, right? Is that necessary? What if they're outside? Had a dog threatening me yesterday, walking up on our property. If I had a gun and the owner wasn't standing there trying to get the dog back, the way he was treating me, it was on the edge dead dog, but I have to be a good shot. He was growling and aggressive. What do I do with a human being when they're like that? I don't want to shoot them. I do everything I can to not shoot them, but biblically and legally, you have a right to carry that out with as much warning as you can possibly give them, if you can give them any warning at all. That's not murder. You get down to just warfare, where you have national defense of a country. Again, if they're the aggressor, if they're simply going in like Russia is presently doing to Ukraine, it's wrong. God doesn't justify that. But if a nation's defending itself, it, God has given that nation the authority to carry out the killing of other individuals. It's not unlawful. It would be intentional because they're being the aggressor. I'm not hunting them down and trying to kill them off because now I move back into this category. So you understand what he's talking about here when he says you shall not murder in the sixth commandment. This is what Jesus is trying to explain to them. I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother, some translations put in the words without cause, not a lot of evidence that that should be there. So it's left out of your newer translation. But that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty. Right? As we look at this whole thing, where's the guilt goes? It goes back up to verse 21 Whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. And so he puts us into this judicial system, this, this responsibility here. Of you're bound under obligation to the court, to this judgment, to this tribunal. The administration of justice can sentence the guilty. And it's given by God, and it's proving or approved by those judges and officers that are going to carry that out. Deuteronomy 16 gave that to them. I'm not going to take a lot of time to explain these. Deuteronomy 16, verses 18 to 20, Israel was to have judges and officers who were to judge righteously, not distorting justice, not partial, and not taking bribes. Deuteronomy sixteen eighteen to 20. That was built into their law. They already knew how that worked. And so here he says, if you murder, you're going to fall into that category where you're liable to the court. That's logical. And America has built much of its court system on the scriptures. And key people who set up that in the very beginning when this country was forming based it on the word of God. Many other things based on the word of God. Don't tell unbelievers that. And don't announce it on the Internet. Because the first thing they want to do is get rid of it. If it came from God, throw it out. Well, they're throwing it out anyway. There are no laws anymore. You can do whatever you want. Even if they incarcerate you, you'll get out in a very short time. Bail or no bail, there's so many things happening. And the tendency is for us then to move to this category and to get angry. We we want to lash out. And so we have to realize that this issue is limited. I am not to have the kind of anger that leads me to murder. Jesus said, I say. He's correcting the teachers, the scribes. He's clarifying the law. And he's applying it to their attitude as well as their action. Look at 1 John 3. This one reveals some information here for us. The first gospel of John, almost near the old, end of the New Testament, sorry. 1 John 3.15. You have first, second, and uh, third John. We're in 1 John. And they're right near, or right before Jude and Revelation, if you can find that. But First John 3.15 says, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know, Oida, you have had knowledge, factual information, that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. If that is how you're living, if that is what's driving your life, if you're going around killing people, you're not a believer. That's all he's saying there. Believers don't do that. They become new creatures in Christ Jesus. They have been changed. They do not live that way. But the law made it very clear that murder here comes from the heart because it comes with the idea of hate. That's the root cause. And the law pointed, thou shalt not murder, pointed to a more fundamental problem. You ever hated somebody that bad? It's not angry without cause. That's not what it's talking about. As you look at this idea of anger, you need to understand, it means that you are provoked to serious irritation. It's an internal hatred. You could translate this indignant, enraged, revengeful. It's a festering, settled condition of the mind that is seeking vengeance. Does that clarify anger for you? You have wrath and you have anger. Wrath is kind of an outburst at the moment. Uh, Anger is more of a settled condition that eventually gets revenge. So you've got a lot of people in the world today who are fuming, and you'll see Mass killings you'll see somebody blow up, and you kind of go, what happened? And you don't realize that has been going on for weeks, months, even years in some of these people, and they finally can't handle it anymore, and they lash out, and they kill whoever near them. Or they plot to kill those who are closest to them. This is that kind of anger that he's talking about here. Revengeful, where you're holding a grudge. It's a selfish anger. It's a smoldering bitterness that refuses to forgive. Anybody in your life like that today? Don't raise your hands. Somebody that you really, really, because they've done the horrible things, and so you really struggle to forgive them, then you're already in category number one. Why is it that I have no right to have that kind of anger? Be angry and sin not is not what we're talking about. This is sinful anger. This is selfish anger. This is revengeful anger, anger, the word that they're using here. Why are we told that? You, you could share right now. I could open this up, and you could tell me some horrendous things that some people have done to you, and they got away with it. I know a lot of them. I've had people talk to me over the years, especially with sexual sins and with various other things, but things that people did, beatings by, by parents, by um, siblings, by relatives, all kinds of stuff that went on that nobody knew about, and you come down here, and you have a tendency then to get to this fuming Anger. It's it's kind of like a fuse that's been lit and it's burning waiting for the bomb to go off. Why is that bad for us? You quiet people who don't talk to me anymore. Okay, it's Okay, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Romans twelve, nineteen. Right. Yeah, you get this bitter anger going on in you, and it takes over. It turns into a hatred, and you cannot really focus on anything else. You will carry it out. You're setting yourself up for failure. You think it's success, because you think it's payback, and you think, well, God's not going to do anything about it, so I will. And in reality, it's destroying you. And the person that you're hating in this regard that you have this anger toward may have no idea. They may have totally forgotten what they've done and moved on. Well, that only makes you more angry. And God says, I'll take care of it. That's not your department. So he's stressing here, it's not just the idea that I carry out the murder. It's everything that leads up to the murder. It's why the heart murdered in the first place that he's really trying to get at. And he's telling them that your scribes and your rabbis, your teachers, they haven't been telling you this. They've allowed you to fester and fumigate. That's the wrong word. What's the word I'm looking for? Fume. Fume. I only needed the fume, not the gate. To fume over this inside. Ruminate. That would be another idea. So it's tearing you up. Look at this in a couple places here. Look what he says in Matthew 5, 7. Just backing up. Remember what we've talked about? Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. When I taught on that, I stressed to you that this was blessed are those who are forgiving others. They're showing mercy because mercy has been shown to them. It's an evidence that they're saved. It's an evidence that some radical transformation has taken place in them. That they have mercy on those who don't deserve it, just like God. Aren't you glad he has mercy? Not getting what you deserve, because where would all of us end up? Where would all of us be right now? In hell. Waiting for the lake of fire. Waiting for the judgment and the lake of fire. So if God can show mercy, when he knows everything, this blows my mind sometimes. I stop and I reflect, okay, here's something bad that happened. How many of those are going on in the world right now? Millions of them. And God sees every single one of them at the same time. And what is he holding back? His wrath. He's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. He's not in a hurry. He knows where they're going to end up, and they'll be there for eternity. What he wants is for them to repent. We'll see that on Wednesday night with our Bible studies. They refuse to repent. When God himself, Jesus Christ, returns to earth, they blaspheme him. They speak against him and refuse to repent, determined they're not going to submit to him. They're not going to go through the Beatitudes and recognize their sinfulness. And so this anger is here, and he says, the merciful have no grudges, no resentment, no revenge, no hate, no bitterness. This is what we talked about in chapter 5, verse 7. It's not my department. I'm not saying it isn't real what people have done to us. I'm not saying that they don't deserve to be paid back, but I deserve to be paid back. See, all of a sudden I'm saying, well, my sins are little and theirs are big. Go, Go get them, God, but thank you for not getting me. It doesn't work like that, and it's not what God wants us to be doing. So this anger here that he's struggling with, look at Matthew 6. We're going to go into this in the future, or somebody else will take over preaching duties. But in Matthew 6, verse 12, in the Lord's Prayer, as it's called, better the disciples' prayer, look at verse 12. He's telling them to forgive uh, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. What have I done with those people that have hurt me or sinned against me? I forgave them. Why? Did they earn it? Do they deserve it? I chose to forgive them. How hard is that? Very, 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 very hard for an unbeliever. In fact, it will not happen. They may say it with their mouth, but it's not going to happen in the heart. But when he goes on here, look what he says in verse 14. If, for if you forgive men for their transgressions, Matthew 6, 14, Your heavenly father will also forgive you. Uh oh. I got a problem. He treats me the way I treat others. What this is saying here, if I still harbor that kind of sinfulness in my life, God can't forgive me. I'm not a believer. This is ultimately what he's trying to say in verse 15. But if you do not forgive men, then your, your father will not forgive your transgressions. And this is often confused and people will say, what is that all about? It's all about being a believer or not. A believer forgives. A believer shows mercy. A believer lets go of the grudges and the resentment and the bitterness. They turn it over to God because they're so impressed with what God has done for them. So, if you've really come to Christ, it should blow you away on a daily basis. I can't believe you did that. You should hear songs, Christian music, and cry along with it as you think back to what he's done and the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness and the compassion, the patience, the kindness that he's shown. That's how we should be living our lives. Worship doesn't happen on Sunday mornings which a lot of people try to make an emotional experience out of it. Worship happens 24 hours a day, seven days a week for the believer. All we do on Sunday mornings is get together and worship corporately, which is great. Nothing wrong with that. I enjoy hearing voices. We, we sang down at um, John MacArthur's church. Um, I don't know where Jim just went, but we went down there, and there was about 6,000 people there singing. You could not hear yourself in the auditorium. I kind of like that. Couldn't tell if I was on pitch or not, but, but I loved hearing everybody around me. Went to the Philippines for a missions trip and went there, and everybody in the Philippines sings. The whole church sounded like the choir. And the same thing, I couldn't hear myself. And it wasn't a real big building. They just sing out, kind of like you guys are learning to do, right? You're practicing in the shower. But that's the worship God's after. That's the worship that comes from a changed heart. You said the shower only? Practice in the shower, singing to the top of your lungs so that when you come to church, you do the same thing. One of the uh, gentlemen that helped disciple me, Dan Carr was his name. He, he um, would sing out, and when he was in the auditorium, you could always hear him. You could stand there with your eyes closed and say, Dan's right there. That guy sang, and probably from his Asian influence because they worked in China for years. They don't hold back. They're not thinking about what other people think about me. They're truly thinking about God. And if you're too far off, we'll tell you. But we should sing from the heart. And the same thing, when I'm doing that, I'm not going to have this anger that tends to take over. You know what's wrong with America today? They're they're breaking all Ten Commandments. And when they're breaking this one, you have anger just dominating people's lives. And they can't figure out what's wrong. And they try to send them to a psychiatrist, psychologist, to get them straightened out. Put them through a, a program to release them. Um, get them to work through things, just uh, talk or whatever it may be. And they think, we're, we're going to change you. You can't. Only Christ can change the heart and turn somebody into a non-angry person. You can try to suppress them. You can try to tie them up in school. You could even put them in jail. But you give them an opportunity to get around other people, and they're going to take it out on somebody. It's the heart that's deceitful and desperately wicked. This is the one, I'm emphasizing this one because this is the one I think stands out the most with us. One more passage. Look at Matthew 18, verse 21. What's Matthew 18 about? About forgiving your brother? Verse 21, then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me? Matthew 18, 21. How many times should he sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven whole times? Whew, that would be great. The teachers of our day said you can only have two cheeks. You get hit on one, I got one more. You get hit on the other, and I let him have it. Used up the cheeks. Peter goes, oh, no, I'm going to go to seven. Jesus said to him, I do not say up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. What's he trying to explain? There's no limit. You're not sitting there with a clicker. Click, 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 click. And then how do you keep track of John's need of forgiveness and Larry's need of forgiveness? I've got to have multiple clickers. You're on 42, and you're only on five. But this is what people, this is how they live. They live with a bunch of Clickers. And they can't keep track, so they just add. They just, oh, well, it's somewhere around 50, 60. You're close. Man, when I reach 70, you've had it. Isn't that what parents say to their kids? One, two, three, four, five. How well do kids respond? I've watched, and I taught on this, and I can't take a lot of time. But we taught on this about kids. You know what what they learn from that? They don't mean anything on one. They don't mean anything on two. And maybe some parents mean something at three. And then they go berserk. They have not orge anger. They have wrath, thumos. And they just go berserk. And they start beating the living daylights out of me. So don't take them to three if you've got one of those kind of parents. That's not God and should never be one of us as believers. We have to forgive, have to have compassion. And if your children are disobeying, the best thing you can do for them in showing compassion is to give them a spanking. When it's foolishness, when it's defiance, not when it's childishness. And I'll leave that because I already preached on that. Anger is a serious problem, but it's a mental thing. Notice where it's taking place? In the heart. It's an internal irritation. Uh, uh, you're going to work this week. Do you have anybody? Don't raise your hands. But do you have anybody you think of, oh, I can't stand them. I don't want to be around them. Oh, they're at work. I was hoping they take the day off. Or maybe they got fired. You may even start looking for ways to get them fired. It's not about them. It's about you and me. It's my problem. It's my heart attitude. They're there because God's trying to get my attention. He's trying to change me as the believer. Not them as the unbeliever. They will not submit to him. He's not at work there. And he's not spanking them, as Hebrews 12 talks about. So you go from this hatred with this anger, this revenge, holding a grudge, and he moves to a second one. Whoever and so he says, whoever is angry shall be guilty before the court. This is just, you're gonna answer, you're gonna have judgment. The, the court system is going to kick in, if you go too far. But he says, whoever shall say to his brother, Raka, Aramaic. A term they couldn't even translate. It's, it doesn't come over into English, so it's hard for us to bring this up. But they, they bring out this word, rakah, and it means, for lack of better, maybe, the, I'm sorry, but it means stupid idiot. You ever call anybody stupid? That's why my parents, maybe your parents taught you, that's not nice. Don't, don't call them stupid. Well, it kind of goes along with this idea here. But it's not just stupid. It's a stupid idiot. And it means a brainless fool. That's what you're calling them. And I could ask for show of hands, and I won't. Because this is probably something that many of us do once in a while. Only because they earn it. It's deserving of them, right? But now you notice he just went from the mind, what you, what you do with your anger, to the mouth. This is character assassination. What gives me the right to go around and describe yeah, you, 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 you. I'll go with the other one here just for the kid's sake. You're the, you're the brainless fool. What have I just made myself? The judge. I'm the one that knows everything about them and where they're at and why they are right or wrong and what they're saying or doing. And so I get to make this determination. It's a term of bitter contempt, slanderous mockery but it it scorns a man's mind and his ability, expressing disdain. It's a harsh outburst of the mouth, seeking to ridicule and to shame. Guess what the soldiers did to Jesus when he was on the cross? Matthew 27, 29 to 31. Matthew 27, 29. I mean, yes, 27, 29. It says, and after weaving a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they kneeled down before him. They didn't have to do any of this. They kneeled down before him and mocked him. What has Jesus already been through at this point? The beating, they just talked about that. The crown's put on his head. These are very severe, and jammed it. They'll make sure it does not come off. You could go back, and they've stripped him. They've beaten him already. He's going through a trial. He's been up all night. You know how that makes you feel. But they mock him. And then what they're saying is, Hail, King of the Jews! How do people mock us? Holy Joes. You think you're righteous. You think you're always right. You think that you have God in your pocket and, and you can't do anything wrong. Matthew 12, in verse 33. I'm trying to stay in Matthew with these just so you realize the same context, same writer. Matthew chapter 12, verse 33 Jesus said, as he speaking here, Matthew twelve thirty three. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. Only two choices. But he goes on to say, You brood of vipers. Who's he talking to? Who else? The Pharisees. How can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. Critical line there. The good man out of his good treasure brings forth what is good, and the evil man out of his evil treasure brings forth what is evil. And I say to you, that every careless word that men shall speak, they shall render account for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you shall be justified, and by your words you shall be condemned. What is my mouth doing? Uh, Chuck all used to say, the, the mouth is the billboard of the heart. What is my mouth doing in my world today? I'm working on it. This is what I joke about with with my wife when we're on trips, and and the people that do stuff around me are always wrong. <laughs> but I don't call them brainless fools very often. <laughs> Try not to do it out loud when there's other people in the car. But I was raised that way. I was well trained. Very verbal. Very um, informational. As we drove in the car, even before you could see out the window. Knucklehead, Knucklehead is that, that one okay? They're wrong. I have stepped from having this anger in my heart, and this desire to pay them back. Now I've gone down to using words to describe them. This vicious attack, this thoughtless humiliation, like the soldiers did to Jesus. Like the Pharisees were doing to those around them. Matthew 15, just a little bit over, a couple chapters. Matthew 15, verse 15. There's a parable. Peter answered and said to him, explain the parable to us. So I'm not going to take time to look at it. But he says, are you still lacking in understanding? Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile the man, but to eat with unwashed hands do not defile the man. They were were focused on the externals. This is how they're handling do not murder. Thou shall not murder. As long as I don't kill somebody, I can strangle them within an inch of their life, right? And I'll do it multiple times because they never learn. You can beat a fool. Remember we talked about that recently. And just use them like a mortar and pestle that you're just beating them, beating them, beating them, and they'll, they'll never change. So why am I trying to judge them? Why do I waste my life and my time focused on their sins instead of focusing on my own? And looking at my sin the way God looked at it when he forgave me, and I turn around and I forgive them. My debt was eternal and massive. Is beyond what I could even imagine. Their debt is this puny little nothing, most of the time. I'm not... Putting down some of the things people have done to you it could be very, very severe. But most of the time, they cut me off. And I grew up around where cut you off, you ride their bumper. How long do you ride their bumper? Forever. Yeah. There is no end. There, there's no limits on this. You're hoping for some kind of repentance. I told you before, this lady pulled out from Cottonwood, pulled right out on the 97 when it used to be just a two-lane road, and was doing 20 miles an hour on Highway 97. Then you could only go 55 back then, although I'm not sure how many of you follow that. But we are following this lady, and I come up, and... Rrr! Windows are all down, summertime. I don't hawk my horn very often, but I did that day, didn't I? That was my mouth speaking, because she couldn't hear me. Ma, ma. She looks in her view mirror. I'm right there. I'm only like 20 feet away from her. And she goes... And she speeds up, right? No. She drove 20 miles an hour until I could get around and pass her. I've never sworn in public. So don't think I did anything as I passed her in the car. I don't do that. But inside you're going. and So then I sit there and I analyze that as my wife looks at me like, you okay? (laughs) And you ask yourself, why did I do that? So what I started doing in my life is I started picturing people that were brainless fools in their driving as if it was my mom in the car or my dad. Now, my dad, I couldn't do anything because I'd get in big trouble. And my mom, I needed to respect. That helped a lot. But if you really want to fix it, you imagine it's Jesus in the car. What are you going to say to him? Brainless fool! fool! Who taught you how to drive? Get off the road! You never say anything like that, right? This is what he's after. He's trying to get him to realize it isn't the murder at the end of the problem. It's the heart issue while you're going through it. You should never even get close to want to murder somebody because the bitterness shouldn't be there, so you never should have that anger, and then your mouth shouldn't come out and say things like, Raka! Viciously attacking. So you go from this mental heart attitude with the anger to this verbal character assassination with Raka. You go from an internal irritation with anger to an external humiliation. I'm going to teach them a lesson. They're not going to learn it. You're wasting your time. You're just getting your blood pressure up and destroying your own body. So he goes on to one more, because at this point they're going, well, uh, I haven't done that. Uh, He gives them a third one. He says, as he goes on, and whoever shall say, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. And you kind of go, whoa, that is strong language. He's going from Aramaic with raka to you fool, which is just Greek, and it's where we get the word moron. Never use that word, do you? Your kids aren't going to remember any of this, right? And so they're sitting there listening to him, and the idea of saying you fool in the Greek is to call him a senseless moron, a morally worthless person. It's the evocative. He's, he's being very specific, specific as he identifies that person, that, that fool. I'll, I'll stick with that word. A term describing godlessness and wickedness and foolishness, a disrespectful declaration of the mouth seeking condemnation. Pay them back, God. Go get him, go kneel him right now. And what does God do? Jumps into action. Whatever you say, I'm just a genie in a bottle, and you rub on me, and I come out and I say, Master, what's your wish? Is that our God? Isn't that how many people pray today? You rub on the, on the bottle and he comes down and he goes, how come you haven't talked to me for a week? No, 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 Genie, you can't ask me those kind of questions. Just go into action and do what I want. And so he's trying to describe here, this is a personal attack on somebody's character is what you're after here. It's not just an issue with the raka of some event they did. It's now that you are characterizing their whole life. You go from this mental heart attitude with anger to a verbal character assassination with raka, to a verbal personal accusation desiring an eternal condemnation. And so we use the phrase, go to blank. People have said that to me. I told one guy one day when he told me that, go to blank. I said, I can't. He looked at me like, what? I said, I know Jesus Christ is my personal Lord and Savior. He's forgiven my sins. You can see the guy's face. He's starting to... Was that a retaliation? <laughs> I was witnessing to him. No, he didn't get madder. He just went away. Matter. The hatter, matter, hatter. And so as you're looking at this picture, some people will use this last phrase with the idea I wish you were dead. Don't raise your hands, but the question is you ever said that to somebody? Or you ever said it? in hiding because you couldn't say it to the person's face. This is kind of what you're doing here. You, you have this eternal desire for them to be condemned. They're morally worthless. There's nothing good about them. God, take them away. So he says here in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 7, as he goes further into the sermon near the end, verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act upon them will be like a moron, a foolish man. Same word who built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and burst against that house and it fell and great was its fall. And what is my response when I'm realizing that what I when I say somebody, I wish you were dead. And I realize if they were to die right now, they'd go to hell. Does that change anything for you? Because that's their condition. That's why Jesus would never say that to somebody. He's not willing for anyone to go to hell. He did everything possible to avoid them having to go there. And so the question comes down to, do I love my enemies? Am I willing to die for them? Lay down my life for them? That's what he's after here. He's trying to change this whole thing around. This is what will keep you from ever murdering somebody. Because you're the one who deserves to be murdered. We have violated God's law. This is what he's trying to explain to them. Your scribes are giving you excuses. You can do it all the way up to the point of, well, just don't kill them. And Jesus takes it way on back, and he said, no, uh, you're never even going to get close if you really follow the the intent of the Ten Commandments. And you'll see that with each one of these as he deals with one after another after another. So he he summarizes here. I have a couple other passages. Uh, The Pharisees were fools in Matthew 23, verses 16 and 17, just if you want another one. Parable of the ten virgins, the five foolish women, same word. Matthew 25, 2 to 8. Being foolish is something that people do, but it's not my position to call them out on. It's not what I'm here for. So God's slowly changing me, either from my habits growing up or from where my heart really is toward people. And what's he tell me to do instead? What did he do for them on the cross? I keep going back to that, but best example possible. You loved them, forgave them, prayed for them, and then died for them. There's our example. Do we like that? I'm not saying you tolerate or encourage the sin they're doing. If it's something illegal, turn it in. You're loving them by getting them corrected, by getting it taken care of. But don't do it with anger. And don't assassinate their character. And don't wish them dead. I know our day is bad because jails aren't doing much of anything anymore and they're really not helping people that are incarcerated, but they're helping those who are outside not be affected by them. But it's, it's difficult for us to look at this and to realize what the problems are. So he explains to them as he closes. He says in verse 23, he gives them a practical example. If therefore, here's a possibility, a third class condition. If therefore you are presenting your offering at the altar, and he's just trying to bring up if you're being obedient to the law, you have prepared a proper sacrifice. You've put in the time, the money, the effort, the travel, the actual animal. Is all of that's correct. And you're at the altar, the place of sacrifice. You are um, approved of God in what you've done so far. So he gives them a positive standing. If you're presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you. Remember is passive. You're reminded. Who would remind a believer? God the Holy Spirit convicting. It comes to your mind, God convicts you of this serious need in your life, and he says there that your brother has something against you. Who's who's got the problem, me or my brother? My brother. I don't have a problem, but my brother has something against me. Whose fault is it from my perspective? must be his. I didn't do anything wrong. But they're upset about something, and he says, okay, what's the priority? What's he telling them right there? Leave your offering. That's a command. That idea of leave there is to forsake to desert there before the altar. Don't give it to the priest to carry out what, if it's an animal sacrifice, whatever it may be. Stop. You ever had that feeling when you went to church on Sunday morning? There was something so pressing, you go, nope, God doesn't want me in church this morning. I've got to go over to so-and-so's house, and I've got to figure out how to f- fix this. That's the same picture there. We're bringing spiritual sacrifices that we gather together as a church. I'm not saying neglect your attendance. We have a number of people that do that a time. Some for health reasons. Some are still traveling. Other ones have needs that we need to follow up. Next Sunday is bring a friend Sunday, isn't it? Isn't every Sunday, bring a friend? We're not trying to impress Isaac Jack's family and say, oh, look how great we are. I hope not. He better see what's real. It's kind of like your first date with somebody that you really like. What did you do? Haircut, dress. You actually took a shower. Your favorite cologne that you don't use just at any time or perfume. Brush your teeth, even. Whoa. Really impressive. And you go out on this date, and, and so you put in your fake eye and your false leg, and you made sure they couldn't see anything. For real? Are you wanting to marry them? What do you want to tell them right up front? Do you appreciate it when you go to a used car lot, and the guy hides everything about the car until you buy it and drive it home? Makes you angry, calling him names like "rocka" And then moron, fool. Why do we do that? Why do we live like that? Why is it we try to become something to impress people with instead of just being ourselves? And maybe yourself needs to improve. Maybe yourself needs to brush your teeth more often. I don't know what the need might be. But, but why am I doing it just to impress somebody? That's my pride. That's not reality. Why can't I just be me? If, if, if you're the, the, the type A's, you know, mess up your house a little bit. It doesn't, it doesn't need to be perfect. Those, those type Bs come in and they go, oh, oh I can't breathe here. And then vice versa. The, the, the type A's come into a house with type B and they see mess everywhere. Counters, a mess. They, they, we just went out to a meal recently, grabbed the salt shaker, and it had the sticky stuff all over it. And I went, ah, oh, gross. I wanted to get a wipe, but they told me to leave it alone. Then I grabbed the salt shaker and it had greasy stuff all over it. I left it in the middle of the table. So at least the guy would have to pick it up and find out it has greasy stuff all over it. Yeah, he probably did. That's how type A's come into a type B house. White glove, check-in. What's the dates on all this food you're going to serve me? But we don't what? That's why we don't have company. You wouldn't have to worry about it. Yeah. But, but we put on these things. Instead, eat it. I've had food poisoning. You will survive. People are more important than my physical condition. I'm not saying that's going to happen. Pray to God. You need bacteria in your diet. (laughs) Too many are too protected. Remember, I told you before that Physohex, Physoderm. How many remember using it? You have to be a certain age. They outlawed it. It worked too well. It was killing off Everything. You can't live like that. So the the A and the B have to kind of come together and find a balance to both be healthy. And it's the same thing with the struggle he's trying to tell them. You guys got to come together at the altar. You, You need to leave your offering. You put that aside, and he says, go your way and first be reconciled to your brother. Whoa. Another command. There's five of them in here. Present tense. You be going your way. This isn't an option. You depart and first be reconciled. This mutual concession, this reconciliation that's going to bring you together. It's passive. I can't make somebody like me. But I can put out all the efforts possible to make it happen. And they still may hate me. I had somebody hurt me really, really bad years ago. Not not an extreme hurt that you would picture some of the ones that are out there, but but a serious hurt. And they came up to me three times in public to shake my hand in front of other people to make everybody else think that they had nothing to do with it. I had a decision to make, so I punched them. No, no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. I shook the person's hand once, and I thought, oh, that was hard. Went home and washed it. No, I'm just kidding. They did it again. They caught me again. These were all in public situations where they came up, they looked for me. They found me, and there were other people standing around, and they went out of their way to shake my hand. I didn't even shake the hand of the other people that were standing there. Then they did it again. What was God trying to tell me? Let it go, Jack. I pray for that person to this day. I feel sorry for them. I don't hate them. I didn't hate them then either, but it was hard. This is what he's trying to deal with. He's got a society that's all phonies. They put on a front, and you don't really know what's going on until their mouth opens up, and they let you hear it. Because they only do that normally when nobody's watching. And they don't know the person, the lady that came out at 20 miles an hour will never see me again. Then I found out she moved in next door. No, I'm just kidding. You don't do that. You can't go that way. It doesn't help you or anybody. So he tells them here to go your way. First, he reconciled. that's what I'm after. That's my pursuit. Then come and present your offering. Then you're back to your normal relationship with God. That's not good, and God says that's more important than your sacrifice. And I have a lot of things I could say that tie in with all of that. And then he stresses to them, command, be making friends quickly. Trying to bring out, settle your accounts be well disposed toward people. Agree with them. Make up with them speedily, swiftly. Don't drag it out. Don't make unreasonable demands for them to have to earn your forgiveness. There is no earning or it's not forgiveness. But make friends quickly with your opponent in the law. Why? And you are to do this while you're with them on the way. Where are you on the way to? Court. The guy said, here's your subpoena, we're going to Court. Okay, you're walking, you're dealing with this, you're angry, you're, you're um, fuming with raka, 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 raka. Calling them names, moron. Can't believe you did this. No, 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 that's not what you're doing. You are uh, with him on the way in order that, or uh, making friends quickly with him on the way in order that your opponent may not deliver you to the judge. Who, who's in the right and who's in the wrong? Doesn't matter. Don't take your case before the judge. Remember what he tells the Corinthians? Don't sue each other. Doesn't mean you can't have lawsuits. It doesn't mean there's a proper way and a wrong way to to process all of this. But in the church, the leadership should be able to work it out. The church should be unified enough. It's just like a marriage. You're going to have ups and downs and disagreements. You work it out. You get an outsider even with counseling, but you work it out. You don't separate and divorce over it. We'll talk about that next week but your opponent may not deliver you to the judge, and the judge to the officer, this is your sheriff's deputy, literally an under rower here, but somebody that works under the sheriff, under the captain, and you be thrown into prison. Uh Uh-oh. That's what could happen, because what God's after isn't your opponent. He's after you. He's after changing your heart. If you're angry and you're calling them names and you wish for their eternal destruction, however you may say that, God says, I'm going to fix that. I'm going to strip away everything about your life, and I'm going to lock you up. I'm going to get you to focus on one thing, the walls of this jail. Maybe a Bible to let you have one in there, but you're going to have to look up. You're going to have to interact with me. This is what Jesus is trying to help them. This is beneficial. They're hearing him and going, this is ridiculous. I'm never going to live like that if they're Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees, but to the Believer, this is critical. He says in verse 26, and he closes with this, Truly, I say to you, truly, 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 I say to you, this is serious. You shall not come out of there until you have paid up the last cent, as he gives them the illustration. You will be accountable to me. There is no relief for you until you've learned your lesson. You're not going to get out. And he puts a double negative in the Greek. By no means. Or are you going to get out until you've paid all that's due? I've got a job to do today. I may have somebody that I need to straighten things out with. And it's not them that's getting straightened out, it is me. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but if this is an area you're struggling with, maybe you've been struggling for decades with. You want relief? Make friends quickly with your opponent. One sided, 100% you. What can I do? How can I humble myself? How can I submit? How can, what do I need to admit to to get this result? That's what marriage is all about, isn't it? 90% her admitting and 10% me. But this is what God's after. This is what gives us true freedom in our relationship with Jesus Christ. This is what allows us to go through the Beatitudes and really have that mercy and that salvation. Sorry, these are so intense. I didn't pick this. I picked it thinking I need something I can do in my um, my oldness and my limitations. But it's kind of, it comes out kind of negative, so I try to loosen it up a little bit. But it's still the fact is there. There should be no one that I have anger, or raka, or calling a moron. So if you need help with this, come see me. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for what Jesus Christ has not only promised to do, but actually carried it out. He came to be the Savior of the world. And that's exactly what he's done. Help us to be your servants. Help us to be humble as we talked about with the Beatitudes. Help us to be meek as we submit to you. Help us to be known by our righteousness. May it not be us who we're trying to exalt, but may it be your son. We thank you for the reminder we ask for the help to carry this out and not to put it off beyond the day, to at least make some notes and some plans to get this resolved so that we can get back to business to where our worship, our sacrificial relationship with you isn't on hold as you constantly plead with us to get right with our brother or our sister. So thank you for the reminder and for this time. In Jesus' name I pray.